We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking the MLS Tears reshuffle, CONCACAF Champions League, Chicharito, Lampard, the U.S. Women's National Team warm-up, the U.S. Men's National Team stasis, Open Cup, Messi Millions, maybe a little politics, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this uh, Thursday, April 6th in the year 2023? I'm doing well, holding down the fort here in L.A. while you are still in Florida. I am still here in the great state of Florida, having a wonderful time. I will be back next week for all of our shows and all of our content. But uh, this has been good. You know, Mossy, uh, I've talked about, uh, you know, my, my knee surgery and everything. And, and basically what happened is a couple of years ago, my knee broke down on me. And that I, what I found out was my running, which I did every single day, obviously, in Southern California was the way that I was getting my son and therefore my vitamin. And so for two years, not going out and running and basically doing the stationary bike, the Peloton type of thing, I had not been getting the vitamin from the sun that I needed. My doctor looked at my uh, uh, my blood work, which I get done every year, and said, hey, you know, you really need to uh, figure out something to do here. Well, I'm down here in Florida. I've gotten plenty of sun. I don't like to get a lot of sun being the redhead that I am, but... Uh, it was nice to get that coursing through my veins, but I will be back this weekend. And I know you spent a lot of time here in Florida. It's, uh, it's been very, very cool. People here have been uh, wonderful. And the weather, to be quite honest, has been phenomenal. Ah, good to hear. You need to take care of yourself. We need you healthy for this podcast. Oh, I am ready. I am, uh, I, I am healthy. Don't you uh, worry about me. Okay, so let's see here. Um, did you watch anything? Uh, another episode of Ted Lasso, which I enjoyed. Mm. And this Friday night, I am going it's, to it's see. It's going well. It's going well, the Ted Lasso, though. I mean, is it uh, heading in the right direction? Yes, I'm enjoying this season. This latest episode was the big West Ham Richmond showdown, Lasso against Nate. Um, so it was a fun episode. Um, this Friday night, I am going to see this new movie, Air. Starring Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Oh, which right. Is yeah, the Nike thing, right? Sunny you have uh, the Jordan thing. Correct. Sonny Vaccaro, the famous pursuit of Michael Jordan on behalf of Nike. Uh, it's like got like a 97% Rotten Tomatoes. Great reviews. So I'm looking forward to it. Wow. Well, I, I've been out here and, and, you know, I'm with my family and everything. I have not watched a whole lot. I have been, uh, you know, uh, uh, going through some books. You know, I do my Audible thing. Uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of 1491, which is... Um, a uh, you know historical recount of 
uh, our country and our geography and uh, the United States and Central America and South America uh, in obviously the 1400s. And it goes through all that. That's really, really interesting. That's about the extent of uh, any type of viewing or literature. Although uh, I, you know, I am a, uh, um, a, I devour anything political. And so I, obviously this week has been uh, interesting and historical from a political standpoint for our country and uh, and for the world. So I've been immersed in uh, in all of that. That's what's kept me glued to any type of screen. But for the most part, I've just been uh, hanging out, like I said, getting some sun and uh, and uh, relaxing. All right, enough of this. Uh, shall, we, uh, shall we light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. All right, where do you want to start? Let's start with the CONCACAF Champions League. The quarterfinal first legs were played this week. We covered all four games on FS1. We can take them one by one in the order in which they were played. On Tuesday, the only MLS versus League MX matchup in this round, Philadelphia claimed a 1-0 first leg home win over Atlas. Gazdag with a late penalty. Atlas uh, playing the whole second half uh, with 10 men. Santa Maria was sent off late in the first half. So a slim lead for the Union, but still plenty of work to do next week in Guadalajara. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was all Atlas that first half. They had plenty of opportunities. Um, the red card obviously changed the game. Uh, you know, I heard uh, Stu Holden, like you mentioned, he and John Strong were doing the game. I heard Stu Holden mention at the end of the game that he thought this was a good result ultimately for Philadelphia. And I don't necessarily disagree with him, although I do think that one was not enough given the the opposition but it wouldn't uh, you know i wouldn't put it past uh jim Curtin and company to go down and to find a find a result but i felt like they needed uh, i felt like they needed to and you know the uh and ultimately getting the uh getting the penalty and uh and finishing it by the way that red card then was looked at and ultimately wasn't it didn't end up being a uh a penalty but i I worry about this result, maybe more so than uh, someone like Stu Holden. And ultimately, it doesn't matter what me or Stu Holden are, are thinking about it. It's uh, what uh, what the Philadelphia Union, and this is a Philadelphia Union that believes in itself, that believes that they can go to different places, including difficult places to play and find uh, and find results. But they got their work cut out for them. The second match on Tuesday, uh, Club Leon claimed a 5-0 home victory over Violette. So that Cinderella story is over. To be fair, this game was 1-0 mid-second half. Violette giving a decent account of themselves. They even had an equalizer chalked off. Uh, but then Leon poured it on late. Victor Davila with two of the goals. Uh, so this adds insult to injury for Austin uh, to see Leon uh, hang this kind of number on Violette uh, after Austin somehow got eliminated by this Haitian side. Yeah, the Violette story is done. It was wonderful while it lasted from a Violette standpoint, not certainly from a Austin or an MLS standpoint. But um, yeah, this one's done and dusted. And uh, you know, we uh, we had a wonderful time watching you, Violette. But uh, make way. On Wednesday, the first match played was Montagua Tigres. Uh, Tigres claiming a one nil away victory in Honduras. Quinones with the only goal. Gignac played in this match because they recently lifted the. Uh, vaccine restrictions in Honduras. So he was able to enter Honduras differently than in the round of 16, where he wasn't able to travel to the United States for that second leg against Orlando. Uh, I keep building Tigres up as this juggernaut, and they certainly are on paper, but they're not playing that well uh, this season. They're seventh in Liga MX. Uh, two draws against Orlando in the round of 16, they advance on away goals. And then this was pretty uninspiring as well, but they got the result, which means they'll probably go through and be in the semis. Uh, Tigres, 1-0 victory away to Motagua. I mean, I'm not. I wasn't as disappointed or unimpressed with them as 
maybe maybe you were they had plenty of opportunities and um i think that they were absolutely the better team and i have no <laughs> problem saying that i think they're going to go back home and take care of this with ease and then the nightcap on wednesday LAFC 3-0 victory away to Vancouver in an all-MLS matchup. Uh, Dennis Buanga with two goals and one assist. Uh, both goals were sensational. When they lost Arango and Bale, we all thought, well, they have to go out and make a big, sexy center-forward signing. But Buanga has really emerged eight goals in eight games in all competitions this season. So LAFC continuing to roll. Look, there's there's no shame in losing to LAFC, uh, you know, arguably the best team in the league and certainly one of the elites when it comes to Major League Soccer. However, I thought this was this was bad from Vancouver in the way that they let this one not not just losing, but letting it get away from them. But, you know, to your point, Wanga and these types of things. Uh, Fuentes isn't playing. I mean, it's 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 incredible what is going on there. And Steve Turundolo looks to have going from uh, gone from great to even greater now in uh, in uh, in the way that they are picking and choosing uh, the players and ultimately getting uh, getting these results. But this was a you know an abject failure from a Vancouver standpoint. And you know, barring some miraculous type of situation. Um, you know, this one's done and dusted too. So two ties are effectively over the Leon LAFC ones. So we yes. can plug those teams into the semifinals. Tigres, we think, will probably move on as well, right? Coming home with a one nil advantage over Motagua. Uh, so if that's the case, it would be Leon Tigres in one semifinal, and then LAFC against either Philadelphia or Atlas in the other. That's the one tie that still feels like it's very much in the balance. Uh, so we'll see. We could have, like I, like I said in our last podcast, one All-Liga MX semifinal and one All-MLS. All right. Well, that sounds like some uh, fun semifinal games for CCL. Speaking of MLS, though, Mossy, uh, shall we turn to Major League Soccer? Yes. Uh, we are six weeks into this season, and we thought it'd be a good time to revisit your tiers uh, entering the campaign. You broke down all the teams into three different tiers. You've now had a chance to watch all of them. So we were wondering how much movement there's been there. So we're going to do uh, Eastern Conference first and then the West. Uh, let's begin with the East. What do you got? All right. And again, as you mentioned, these are these are tiers and it could be good, average, bad, um, you know, um, the good, bad, the ugly, whatever it ends up being. But they are three distinct tiers. And as we also mentioned when we started this before anybody had played, these are going to change as we go through. And so his, this is the first time where we've had now a, a good chunk of games here. And now we look at see and where uh, where people are. All right. We're going to start over in the uh, in the east. So my good as it stands today. And again, we're recording on Thursday, April 6th. My good are Cincinnati, Columbus, Atlanta. Atlanta, New England, and Nashville. Now, there are a couple of uh, teams there that have continued on, both Cincinnati and Columbus. I had them as being good uh, before the season, so they've continued on. Uh, Nashville was another one that I also had there, so they have lived up to the billing or the preseason billing. Uh, NYCFC has not, and obviously Philadelphia has not. So then we get into the average right now. Uh, and this would be Philadelphia, as I mentioned, Orlando, Toronto, NYCFC, uh, and the New York Red Bulls. Initially, before the season, I had Atlanta being in that average category. They are obviously now in the uh, in the good category. And then we get to the the bad in the East. Now, right now, as it stands, and I think some of these are obvious, Miami, Chicago, DC United, Charlotte, and Montreal. 
I had for my bad in the East before the season started, Toronto, New England. Boy, I really got that one wrong because they went all the way up to good. Uh, Charlotte, D.C. United, and Chicago. I didn't actually have Montreal in my bad before this season. I had them in my average, but they are bad and as bad as you can possibly get. Montreal, by the way, 12 goals against, three goals for. Uh, as, as far as games this weekend to look at when it comes to uh, to MLS, Mossy, Cincinnati and Philly. As I mentioned, the Ohio, whatever is in the water, it's incredible right now. Cincinnati continues on uh, against Philly. And Philly, as you know, we just talked about them in CCL. They are not yet the elite team in terms of the results. And to play against Cincinnati and to have Philly find a way to get a uh, result there would be would be something and back to a uh, to a form. Any thoughts on the uh, on the East when it comes to uh, my tears there or games that you're looking forward to? Well, that Cincinnati Philadelphia game is very interesting. We talked about this in our last pod. Pat Noonan not happy with how Cincinnati have been playing. They haven't been the attacking juggernaut that we all expected, but they are finding ways to get results. Philadelphia just one point from their last three MLS matches. This is a chance for Philadelphia to make a statement to show that they are still the best team in the East despite this sluggish start. So I'm curious to see how that that game goes. You know, I mentioned that I got New England wrong in terms of the preseason. And look, it could flush out in the end, going right back to uh, to uh, being a bad team. But right now they are good. Uh, and they're, they've won two of their three games on the road. And we know how difficult it is in MLS and in any league for that matter to get points on the road. So New England and Bruce Arena right now, one of the real... I guess it would be surprises right now uh, when it comes to MLS. All right, when it goes to uh, the Western Conference here. Okay, so my good... Again, no surprises. We just talked about LAFC. I got Seattle, St. Louis. Now that, I guess, is no surprise given what they've done in their first six games, but certainly a surprise in that I had them uh, b- b- before the season as finishing basically in my bad category, and they were at the bottom of that bad category. I thought that even if they were in contention for a playoff place, it would be an incredible success. And so that story is is well known right now, and they're obviously in the good. When it comes to the average, I got Dallas, Austin, St. Uh, San Jose, Houston, and Vancouver. Now, I did not have, for example, uh, San Jose being an average team at this uh, at this point. And as I mentioned, St. Louis, I didn't have either. When it comes to bad, I didn't think Portland was going to be as bad as they are, but they are in the bad category. Salt Lake, um, the real Salt Lake, Sporting KC, I thought was going to rebound and they really haven't. Colorado, I had in the bad category and they continue to be in the bad category. And then the LA Galaxy, not only do I have them in the bad category, I have them in the bottom of the bad category if you were to rank them within the bad category. And I thought that LA Galaxy were going to be one of the good teams in 2023. And they still might be. Uh, Chicharito, we we, uh, hear, is back in that he will be available this weekend. And that is a major addition in terms of just from a practical perspective, a goal scorer that can come in, somebody that they need but also his leadership uh, and the aura of Chicharito. We'll see if that changes the fortunes of the LA Galaxy right now who are in free fall, and it is bad, bad, bad. And you can yell and scream about Chris Klein and Jovan Karaski all that you want, but it's the players on the field right now that are doing uh, things that are not even close to living up to what the Galaxy, uh, Galaxy are. And if you want to fire Chris Klein... Fine, go ahead and fire Chris Klein. But Chris Klein has nothing to do with the fact that this team right now is so poor. 
to circle back to the top, uh, Seattle, St. Louis, that is a fantastic game this weekend. St. Louis first in the West, Seattle second. Uh, we'll see if uh, Seattle can make it two losses in a row for St. Louis. Obviously, Seattle, they have this uh, Jordan morris Lel Chu combination. Those two guys have been lights out. So this is a great game, huh? It's great for, for a number of reasons. And, and you you hit on you know the Jordan Morris situation right now is really interesting because keep in mind when we saw him at the World Cup uh, and, you know, the you know, the the expected and kind of evergreen criticism of Jordan Morris for any number of reasons, including the fact, you know, that's something he has no control over in that he plays in Major League Soccer. He also had come off of a major injury, and sometimes it takes a, a while before you get back into step. And he's playing in a position right now where he is scoring at will, and Seattle is flying right now. So yeah, uh, this, the the St. Louis part of it too, to have to go now to St. Louis and to play against Seattle after losing their first game. Is it, uh-oh, back to reality now if they lose two on the trot and then continue, uh, continue on? And then our game on Fox with LAFC versus Austin. Austin has not lived up uh, to, uh, to, to last year, and they're coming against <laughs> a red-hot LAFC, as we have mentioned now numerous times already in the pod. It's interesting. John and Stu were talking about this last night. They were worried that with this Austin game sandwiched in between the two CCL legs against Vancouver, that LAFC might rotate their lineup for this Austin game. But given the fact that they went out and won 3-0 away to Vancouver in the first leg and that tie is pretty much over, maybe it means they put out their strongest lineup in this game and then they feel like they can rotate in that second leg against Vancouver. That's uh, yeah, that's certainly a possibility. And, you know, to the victor go the spoils or I guess in this case, the ability to uh, to rest players. I I think either way, it doesn't really matter because they do have depth. Either way, this is a problem game for St. Louis. But who knows? Maybe they say no. Last weekend against the loons was just something that happened. We knew it was going to happen eventually. And now they get right back, uh, get uh, get right back on track. But I'll be watching that one for sure. Any anything else you want to uh, mention here when it comes to MLS? Uh, would you say six weeks in, this has been an overall exciting start to the season or kind of ho-hum? I know there's been some discussion on Twitter that because there wasn't that sexy new signing this offseason, that there's something missing in that regard. But overall, do you think the quality of play has been uh, entertaining? I think the quality of play has been entertaining. I think that entertainment, given the Apple situation, has not been magnified in a way that it deserves. Um, and, and again, I'm not telling MLS or MLS fans anything that they, that they don't know. This has been um, an effort on MLS to kind of peek around the corner and get ahead of the game. And they knew that maybe in the short term, they were going to have to deal with, you know, a situation where they were out of sight, out of mind, but just from a pure competitive standpoint i think this has already been a wonderful season we've already seen the kind of surprises that we come to expect with mls and look you can be critical of mls for the structure or the way that they go about the business but ingrained in the philosophy and the structure of mls is this manufactured parity and it's designed (laughs) to give you surprises in the things that happen on the field and it is doing that on a consistent basis. You know, we just talked about, you know, the St. Louis situation or, you know, the the loons being able to, you know, win on the road and not even have their uh, their best player. As far as, you know, the sexy names and, and that type of stuff, I don't think that that 
it's not that it doesn't matter anymore. It it does matter. I mean, look, we we're going to talk about Messi later on in the pod specifically because of the possibility of him coming to Major League Soccer. And that will always be a case. Big names, you know, will will move the needle and will be things that people talk about. But it's become it's become less and less vital and important to the league. So I don't necessarily think Mossy that this this moment uh if it's if it's not sexy, it's not because there isn't sexiness involved. I really think it's it's the fact that not enough people recognize that the sexiness is happening, oftentimes in their backyard. And that has got to have been expected in terms of this migration uh, to, to Apple. And I've already mentioned the fact that all the games being play, played basically at the same time, um, I understand it from a business perspective and I understand it from a selling perspective, but from a selfish perspective i just it, it it bothers me and i miss the ability to watch multiple teams multiple games throughout a week and let alone throughout a week that's it all right well let's take a quick break uh, and when we come back there's all sorts of stuff that's going around uh, going on over in europe and international uh, games that are happening so we'll take a look at that right around the corner here don't go anywhere Okay, welcome back. You know, it is exciting times at Fox Sports as our team has picked up two Webby Award nominations for all of the hard work that was done during the FIFA World Cup over there in Qatar. You need to visit vote.webbyawards.com to support World Cup Now, nominated for the Best Social Content Series and our World Cup Hub on the Fox Sports app, nominated under Best Mobile User Experience. The voting period is open from now until Thursday, April 20th. Again, please visit vote.webbyawards.com and find our nominations under best social content series and best mobile user experience. Thank you for doing that. And speaking of the World Cup, the World Cup now will return to Australia and New Zealand, Mossy. We are excited about uh, this summer. And just to follow up on that, all of the work and all of the men and women that did so much work when it comes to all the digital stuff and all the content that we were pumping out in Qatar, uh, they all deserve Emmys as far as I'm concerned. They all deserve Webbies as far as I'm concerned. So the, to the extent that you can call in and you can log on and you can help uh, with that, that would be wonderful. So uh, thank you for those of you that have already voted and thank you for those of you that are going to vote. Mossy, should we start over uh, when it comes to the U.S. Women's National Team? Uh, just a quick note on what you just said. Uh, we apparently did not get nominated for anything. Uh, so I am deeply resentful of that. Um, but I viewed that Twitter show in Qatar as sort of our competition. And it, <laughs> it seems like the company has decided to push that show more for the awards than our podcast. So I guess Mossy, we, I we guess... don't do this. We don't do this for rewards. We don't do this for, you know, the adulation that, that comes for it. We just, we do this because we believe in it. And if the awards come fine, and I would much rather, you know, like I said, all the m wonderful men and women that worked so diligently and so hard get those awards than us. We, we get enough of the accolades, my friend. All right. I'm sorry that I disrupted Sean Sullivan's neat segue there, but you mentioned <laughs> Australia and New Zealand and the U.S. women this summer will be seeking their third straight World Cup title, and as they continue their preparations for that tournament, uh, this Saturday they have the first of two friendlies against the Republic of Ireland. Saturday's game will be played in Austin. The other game will be played in St. Louis. Uh, we discussed uh, the roster when it was announced. The big story, uh, the return of Julie Ertz for the first time since the 2021 Olympics. Uh, so now when the U.S. takes the field on Saturday, I imagine 
the type of role that Ertz plays is one of the big storylines that you'll have your eye on. I mean, we are getting closer and closer to the World Cup. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I made my travel arrangements yesterday. So it is, uh, you know, we'll be celebrating 100 years or 100 years, 100 days out of the World Cup and uh, next week. And it is it is going to come fast. And for Vladko Andonovsky and this team, they're going to have fewer and fewer opportunities to really get set as to what their 11 is going to be. Now, there are still people waiting in the wings and uh, Katarina and these types of uh, players that will, will be coming in. But, you know, this this is going to be the team. And so, you know, you mentioned uh, Mallory Swanson. Alex Morgan is on fire right now. Sophia Smith uh, up top, who I think is going to be there uh, uh, come uh, as a starter. But the big story coming out of this, and we, we talked about it on a previous pod, is Julie Ertz and what she looks like after being out for 20 months, almost two years out of the game. She is now an unattached player in that she doesn't even, doesn't even have a team that she is playing for. Now, she'll get a team and she'll play plenty of games leading up to the World Cup. But this is her first time back with the World Cup. And we'll see... What she looks like, you know, by all accounts, she's been working really hard. And then you have, you know, some of the usual suspects like your Kelly O'Hara's and your Becky Sovereign's and your Crystal Dunn's uh, and your Alyssa Nair. So I'll be really interested against, let's be honest, inferior competition, although a, a team that is preparing for the World Cup and congratulations to them. But this is a team that the U.S. should have no problem with. But I'll be interested to see the philosophy from Black Kondonovsky in terms of this game and how he uses the players, obviously what Julie Ertz looks like, but what type of 11 does he go with an eye to the World Cup is just around the corner. So I'm excited about this. And there is a lot of talent and there is a lot of competition, which ultimately is a good thing. When the U.S. won the She Believes Cup earlier this year, Mallory Swanson scored four of the team's five goals across those three games. Alex Morgan got the other. Producer Sean Sullivan, very concerned about the lack of balance in the scoring. Uh, Sophia Smith being back will help in that regard. But are you looking for, in these games, other players to emerge and to show an ability to find the back of the net? No, I don't care where the goals come from. I mean, are you... Are you more comfortable when it's spread around? Yes, because if somebody gets hurt or if somebody just goes off the boil, as they say, then you know all your eggs are in that basket. But I, I, I'm not concerned. I like people that score goals, scoring them and scoring them consistently. I mean, look, I've said this before. The most valuable thing in our game is scoring goals. It's also most difficult. However, if and when you find somebody that does it on a consistent basis. The uh, the value of that from a teammate standpoint in that when I walk on the field and if I walk on the field and I know that more likely there's a more likelihood than not that Sophia Smith is going to score a goal or Mallory Swanson is going to score a goal. And that's where our goals are coming from. I mean, that's why they get the attention. That's why they are strikers. That's why they are up top. Keep keep doing it. That as a defender, I already know we're winning 1-0, no matter what happens. So as long as I keep a clean sheet, we've won the game before the whistle is even blown because I have those types of players that are up, do up there doing it. I don't care about the a, a, a lack of balance or a perceived lack of balance when it, comes, uh, when it comes to scoring. I don't think that scoring, I don't think firepower up top is ultimately going to be the problem when it comes to this national team, uh, this women's national team, relative to winning three in a row. Uh, last point, the U.S. has won all its games this calendar year, but some people think they haven't been all that impressive in those victories. Uh, we mentioned Republic of Ireland, they're pretty good, but they're not that great. Are these two games where you'd like to see the U.S. really lay the lumber and win convincingly and hang big numbers to really show that they're back to their imperious best? 
I, I would, and only because I think that this U.S. team, it's ingrained in them that they don't get a false sense of security. And so, you know, we will celebrate and ooh and ah and be excited about it, but it has to be tempered with the opponent that you're playing. And as I said before, the reality is, and it's not the U.S.'s fault, uh, it's just the reality of the history and the, and the situation of, of the progress and the evolution of the women's game, is that the U.S. really only tests themselves against four or five teams. And ultimately, that's ultimately going to decide what whether this team is going to win three World Cups in a row. And so those types of games against your Englands, against your Germanys, against your Swedens, against your Netherlands, against you know these types of teams, uh, those are the, going to be the games ultimately where we see how good this team is. Not games against uh, not games against Ireland. So they'll go out there and they'll do what they do, and I think they'll score goals, and everybody will be happy. But I think internally, the good part is is they look around and they know that they're not judged against games against uh, against Ireland, and they guard against that false sense of security because of the year after year after year where they do have to play games against vastly inferior competition. Uh, you what else, Mossy? You mentioned you booked your travel to Australia already. Are you a window seat or aisle seat guy? I, despite my size, I am actually a window seat guy. Uh, I like to see out into the vast expanse on the side of me it would be in front of me but on the side of me and so yeah i love i love to be able to you know when i'm flying cross country see where i'm flying over if you can and you know see the 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 grand nature of what i feel is the greatest country in the world if i'm flying domestically and when i'm flying internationally you know it gives it gives you context and i think it gives you a vi- a vision and a view of what's uh, what's going on so yeah i'm a i'm a, a window seat guy what about you Aisle. You're an aisle. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, well, we can travel together then. I, I just have that nightmare scenario in my head of needing to go to the bathroom and people being asleep uh, and having to wake them up. So I, I want to avoid that at all costs. So I'm an aisle seat guy. <laughs> you're, you're such a nice guy. I love you. I love you. All right. What else we got, Mosey? All right. So let's transition to Europe. Uh, it is a fun weekend in the Bundesliga. We have two versus three. Borussia Dortmund hosting Union Berlin. Both teams coming off midweek defeats. In the German Cup quarterfinals, Dortmund lost 2-0 away to Leipzig. Union Berlin lost 2-0 away to Eintracht Frankfurt. Giorena was an unused sub in Dortmund's game. He's been battling an illness. Pifok came on as a sub in Union Berlin's defeat. So we'll see if uh, either of them gets on the field in this one. So Pifok was a sub and Gio was a sub, but actually didn't come into the game is what you're saying. Correct. Oh, boy. We've got a lot of substitutes on this U.S. national team right now. Oh, my goodness. This summer might be interesting when it comes to uh, a lot of this talent uh, that we have out there. Um, when it comes to uh, to the Bundesliga, Mossy, uh, did last week decide it, or are you still of the mind that, uh, that Dortmund can find a way back into this thing? Well, Dortmund are two points back of Bayern, Union Berlin four points back. Interestingly enough, Bayern also crashed out of the German Cup. Uh, in Thomas Tuchel's second match in charge, they lost 2-1 at home to Freiburg. And now they are away to Freiburg this weekend. That's one versus four in the table. So it really is a tasty weekend. And yeah, the Thomas Tuchel honeymoon is already over two games in. You got all this credit for beating Dortmund, but then they lose at home to Freiburg. We'll see how they respond against the same opponent here. If you're a betting man, and I know at times you are, would you bet 
that Bayern Munich would lose twice in a week to Freiburg? I would not. I think they come exactly. back strong. And win <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. But I think we decided last week that as far as the Bundesliga title goes, uh, that it was, I guess, lost from a Dortmund perspective and maybe won from a uh, Bayern Munich perspective. But we also know that Tuchel and company have bigger fish, fish to fry when it comes to Champions League going forward. And then transitioning to England, Thomas Tuchel's former club, Chelsea, they are away to Wolves. Uh, the latest twist in Chelsea's managerial situation is that they've appointed Frank Lampard as interim coach for the remainder of this season. And then presumably in the summer, they'll go out and get somebody else, somebody like a Nagelsmann or Luis Enrique has been mentioned. Uh, my dad had a funny line. He said, was Ralph Rangnick unavailable? <laughs> But instead, it's Lampard who takes over. There's a bit of a revisionist history going on on the part of uh, U.S. fans, and they're acting like everything for Pulisic was great under Lampard. I I remember plenty of complaining back then about how Lampard handled Pulisic, but Pulisic did have his most successful stretch at Chelsea under uh, Frank Lampard. That is undeniable. That was the restart after the COVID shutdown uh, in 2020. He played incredibly well for a stretch of games. So who knows? Maybe this is a good development for Pulisic Lampard taking over. What's interesting in this whole thing is oftentimes the conventional wisdom says you don't fire someone unless you know, unless you have someone to take over. I don't know if Chelsea did when they fired Potter. I don't know whether Todd Bowley <laughs> and uh, the leadership over there had a plan. But it, if they if they didn't, that's a problem. If they did, and this is kind of part of the plan in that, well, if they wanted to get uh, Nagelsmann or somebody like that, they felt they could, and they just couldn't get it across the line from a contractual perspective, or you know, it, you know, they started to have second thoughts or wanted a little bit of time or wanted to come in the summer. Okay, I can I can understand that. And if that's the case, then this actually I think makes sense. You have somebody obviously who is a club legend on the field and to a certain extent off the field has has a history and therefore has a cachet uh, with with the fan base and with the club. He is there. He understands and can hit the ground running coming in. You mentioned whether it's players that he's been with or just the whole system and structure that is kind of set up there. He obviously loves the the, the club and has an affinity for it. So as far as a short-term type of situation, I mean, if, if Frank Lampard had been the assistant coach, nobody would have batted an eye at this. And he wasn't, I know, but this isn't as crazy ultimately as it sounds as long as come this summer, I guess that's when this would all happen. They get their man or woman, whoever it ends up being. And that person just either wasn't available or didn't want to come at this, at this point. And so they said, all right, let's write the ship to the extent that we can in a temporary basis, and then do what we need to do in the summer to get get whoever the hell it is that they feel is going to bring Chelsea back to the elite uh, status that they expect. It's funny. Back in 2012, they fired AVB around this point of the season and brought in Roberto Di Matteo as an interim coach. Di Matteo, also a beloved figure, not to the extent of Frank Lampard. And then Di Matteo probably led them to the Champions League title, so they felt compelled to keep him as a permanent manager. And then, of course, he was sacked early the following season. But Chelsea are still in the Champions League. We know they're no man's land in the Premier League. They're just playing out the string there. But they are still in the Champions League in the quarterfinals. They face Real Madrid. Is there a world in which Frank Lampard actually guided them to a successful run in the Champions League, whatever that means, winning the whole thing or just getting to the final, where suddenly he would make himself a candidate to be the permanent manager again? No. I mean, there's a world where he could guide them to the <laughs> Champions League, and then you fire him. 
<laughs> I mean, and when I say fire, it's not really fire. It's like, thank you. Thank you so much for coming in at a time of need and doing what we needed to do. But you do not want to be blinded by that. And oftentimes, you know, when assistant coaches or interim coaches come in, they have nothing to lose. And so a coach with nothing to lose oftentimes um, is operating in rarefied air and and unique air that doesn't exist and wouldn't exist come the fall. And so, again, you can't be blinded by a situation that happens uh, that happens like that. I mean, is Frank Lampard suddenly a completely changed co coach in the time and the experiences that he's had since he was last at Chelsea? I'm not saying that he hasn't progressed and evolved and 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 grown, but I don't think that over the next couple of months, him doing something uh, like uh, incredible warrants him continuing on. As a matter of fact, I think you, you need to make it absolutely abundantly clear that you are moving on come the summer, regardless. And, and you know, you'll, you'll, there will be slings and arrows and there will be people screaming and yelling and say, hey, you know, you got a bird in the hand and hey, this is right in your, uh, right in your grasp here and, and don't let this go. But that's a, it's, it's fool's gold, my friend. It's fool's gold. And I agree. Uh, this could be an interesting weekend in the title race in England because on Saturday, Manchester City are away to last place Southampton. You figure that would be three points. We'll see if Holland comes back for that game. And then Sunday, Arsenal are away to Liverpool, uh, a chance for them to drop points there. And as I told you on our last pod, all it would take is Arsenal drawing one game and then all of a sudden City would control their own destiny if they were to then win this game, win that game in hand, and then beat Arsenal at the Etihad, assuming they still have the goal difference edge at that point, they would be in first place. So it wouldn't take that much. So this is a real opportunity here for Arsenal to stumble and City to capitalize. Wow. I don't think you put it as succinctly last time you said it, but when you just said it there, whatever that was, you need to uh, frame that because that perfectly and clearly illustrates the knife's edge that, that it's still on. And I don't think I, and maybe others out there, realized how much of a nice edge it actually is and that's that's pretty interesting and look this is a liverpool team we know that's not great and is still struggling but they can find a way and we've already seen them this season where everything kind of goes right and they certainly have the talent so it and and in your scenario and argument all it takes is a a, a tie and this certainly could happen hell it wouldn't even be crazy and out of the realm of possibility if Liverpool beat Arsenal this weekend. And then uh, it would kick into your scenario and game on. Now, Man City still has to win out, and that's not assured, but I'm I'm here for it. Yep, so it should be a fun weekend in Europe. Uh, that is it for this segment. Okay, okay. So let's take another quick break here. When we come back, uh, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. It is time for Ask Alexi, that point in the show where you uh, well, you send in your questions and your comments and concerns. You use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the social media platforms. And by the way, our handle on those social media platforms is SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call in uh, to our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. Uh, we, we had some calls this week, including a call from Joe from Maryland. We were going to use it, but... Listen, I get it. You're calling in and sometimes people get, get nervous. And Joe Joe had a really nice call. And it was actually a follow-up, Mossy, on some of the things that we were talking about with Erlen Holland and 
what Man City is with him and without him, and actually are they better without him? But it was a little uh, convoluted in the way that he was asking the question. Uh, but I did want to mention, thank you, Joe, for listening to the pod. First off, said some really, really nice things to us. And then, you know, talked about the possibility of since Man City is so good, could they just have signed him just to keep others from signing him? And I think that there is a, a longer discussion maybe about that. And certainly when you have these teams that have so much money that that plays into what they are doing. And it's not that you ne- it's it's as much as you don't want the others to get that quality uh, as you want to get that quality. Uh, having said that, I don't think there's a team in the world that would have said no to Erlen Holland. And I think going forward, there are going to be many more teams and big teams that do spend a tremendous amount of money to have him, regardless of the style of play that happens. Uh, Mossy, though, did we get some uh, Twitter questions out there? We did. Uh, first up, Brian, I apologize if I butchered this, Sproul. Uh, do you feel the delay in the search for the U.S. men's national team coach and general manager has anything to do with the Women's World Cup, if that is the case, would it be acceptable if the situation was reversed? Uh, well, first off, I don't thank you for the uh, the question, Brian. I don't think it has anything to do with the U.S. women's national team. I know, you know, in the uh, the corporate jargon, uh, people talk about bandwidth, and certainly when it comes to the leadership of U.S. soccer. Or, or the lack of leadership now because of these open positions, there is only so much bandwidth to go around. Having said that, I, I, I would think that from the moment that they found out that, uh, that Greg Berhalter was possibly not going to continue on, and then they found out that, or decided that Brian McBride was not going to continue, and then they found out that Ernie Stewart wasn't continued, that this would have become a priority. Uh, but I also think that the United States F- F- Soccer Federation looked at the situation and said, we do not need to rush this. Now, we can debate that and argue that. And at times I have in that we are losing time relative to 2026. But I think their their decision was, let's take the time. Um, and I would rather take extra time and get it right than do something immediately and get it wrong. And I can I can certainly understand that, but I don't think it has anything to do with the US Women's National Team or uh, or the Women's Cup, uh, Women's World Cup. Yes, there is a lot of focus and rightly so and and energy and resources being put into having a successful World Cup this summer, but you know, keep in mind that the two teams have been separated and I think going forward are going to be further separated, separate but equal uh go- going forward. But yeah, and would it be acceptable to, to your question, Brian, if the situation were reversed? I mean, look, there are ebbs and flows in any company, and there are priorities that come and go through years and through the year in any type of company. And a year that has a World Cup for the women in this case, yes, that is going to get focus, attention, resources, and priority, I would think. But look, U.S. men have a gold cup. The U.S. men um, obviously are in a a huge moment of transition, but I don't think that it is at the expense right now of the U.S. men that this is happening relative to the U.S. women and the U.S. uh, and the the World Cup that's coming this summer. I don't know. Masi, you think so? Uh, No, I don't think one has anything to do with the other. Incidentally, Brian on his Twitter... uh profile there has he's a picture of him holding a very cute baby who's decked out in red white and blue i love that picture i've been staring at it for the last couple minutes um next twitter question uh john michael abbott asks 
curious on your thoughts on the Open Cup. What are some changes you would like to see to make the Open Cup more popular? Um, well, let me think here. All right. So Open Cup, I love the tournament. It is constantly kind of trying to find its place in American soccer. And yet it is maybe one of the best representations of the incredible American history that actually exists, if you care to take the time uh, to look at it. If you don't follow, by the way, um, uh, the cup.us, uh, basically at US Open Cup on uh, Twitter, you should because this gives you everything that you would ever want to know and more about uh, the U.S. Open Cup, the Lamar Hunt Open Cup, uh, something that I have played in, something that I have followed. Uh, so whenever it comes to changes that you would make, uh, you know, I, I think I said on Twitter the other day, 35-yard shootout, absolutely. Love it. I love it. You can't. Nothing's more American than that. It would be uh, wonderful to see. Um they have done a good job over the last couple of years of giving the home team the, at least the opportunity to host. Now, keep in mind, it just seems like a no-brainer. You would have the, uh, sorry, not the home team, the lower division team or the lower either perceived or real uh, team in a matchup. I would like to see that continue. And if and when a quote-unquote lower team is hosting a higher team, that that lower team be given the opportunity. Now, some don't necessarily want to do it. Some just actually can't. There have to be standards that you have to live up to. But at least I would love to see that everybody gets the opportunity. And they have done a lot of that to give that kind of magic to the lower team and to create some some competition and uh, and parity going uh, going forward. Uh, keep in mind, right now we are into the third round, and this is where MLS teams come in. A bunch of MLS teams uh, come in right now. You have a bunch of MLS teams, like I said. You have a bunch of USL Championship teams that are uh, that are there. You also have a bunch of USL One teams that are there and NISA teams, and these would be your, I guess, Cinderella stories if you look at it you know your your Chattanooga FC your Flower City Union when it comes to NISA teams or your USL one teams when it comes to the Charlotte Independence or uh let's see here uh South Georgia Tormenta FC and this is you know kind of the magic and the fun of a tournament and the big boys come in and uh, we'll see how they do it but you need look no further than last year where uh, a quote-unquote Cinderella-ish type of team uh, made it to the fi final. And we talked earlier this week about uh, Rochester and what that once was winning the title, even back in 1999. I don't necessarily think that we are going to, we are going to see that, but look, we talked about bandwidth bandwidth in the last uh, uh, question. You know, there's only so much bandwidth out there in a world that is just so full of soccer to have another big tournament as important as it may be to me. It's not necessarily important to others. And I think the thing that you can do, and we're going to see this this summer with this big tournament between Liga MX and MLS, is the prize money matters. Even for people that are paid well and millionaires out there, prize money matters. It says your intent in a tournament. And so obviously it's easy to say, make the prize money more. Well, where's that money going to come from? But those are the types of things that can happen. I'm sure there's other ideas. If you have ideas out there on how to make the U.S. Open Cup, the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup better, please send it to us. It uh, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they are going to take our advice. And some of it may be useful, some of it may uh, may not, but it's fun to think about if you had to organize and market a tournament that is over 100 years old, that is part of American soccer history, and you had to find a place in it in the 
you know, the crazy Flotsam and Jensen, Jetson that, that exists out there and cut through all of that clutter, what would you to make it uh, do to make it relevant, to make it something that, that people want to want to see? And not just the diehards like us, but other people that tune in. And I'll leave you with this, Mossy. When we, you know, we talk about what's happening with Wrexham and these wonderful romantic type of stories, uh, they can happen, by the way, for probably a lot less at times. Um, and in your own backyard, if you are an American owner, if that's something that you want to do. And while there isn't promotion relegation in uh, in the U.S., there are these types of moments and these types of tournaments that can bring a smaller team to the forefront, that can provide that Cinderella story and that romantic type of notion of what can be. And that's part of what the fun is of a tournament like this. And it also, as as I said, really puts a magnifying glass on all the soccer that is out there, all the leagues that are out there, all the wonderful professional and amateur or semi-pro soccer that is out there and the people that are working their ass off each and every day. And this is a moment in a series of moments through the year, but a big moment for them to step up and say, look at us. And those of us that are you know, on the outside maybe or not day in and day out looking at it, to have a magnifying glass on uh, some of these uh, some of these teams, and they deserve your time, and they deserve their stories to be told. What else, Mossy? Anything else? That is it. All right, let's take another quick break, and when we come back, uh, it's the end of our show, and I'll give you my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Uh, Mossy, did you hear about this uh, this possible offer? for the services of one Leo Messi uh, coming here in the future. Did you hear about this? Yes, Saudi Arabia. They got some money over there, evidently, my friend. Uh, so the rumors have come out that a possible deal over there in Saudi Arabia for Messi that would involve, <laughs> I hope I'm getting this right, $400 million a year for Messi has been laid out. Now, we know they, they have the money. Uh, so the question becomes in this moment where everybody's talking and I think, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire about what Messi is going to do, including the potential of coming to major league soccer. How much is it ultimately about money and how much is it about, you know, the experience? Well, I can tell you that even people that have a lot of money, you don't need me to tell you this, even people that have a lot of money, it still ultimately comes down to the money. Not all and not always, but for the most part, okay? I don't know what Messi wants to do going forward. And, hey, Marcy, did, uh, Ma Marcy. <laughs> Mossy, did you see the, uh, the Barcelona-Real Madrid uh, Cup game? Of course. Uh, Real Madrid okay. with a 4-0 victory at Camp Nou to uh, overturn their 1-0 first leg deficit. They are off to the final to meet Osasuna. And I'm sure what you're alluding to is that as that game got out of hand and Barcelona fans had very little to cheer about, uh, they started chanting Messi's name for several minutes. Yeah, I mean, so Barcelona fans cheering Messi, you know, arguably the greatest Barcelona player of all time and arguably the greatest player of all time. That in and of itself is not necessarily surprising. But in this moment where he is obviously deciding his future and where he's going to go, you know, the romantic in them and the romantic in me, maybe the romantic in Mossy, it would be kind of fitting and a wonderful, you know, last chapter and end to the story for him to return to the scene 
of his greatest accomplishments and really where he was birthed and magnified, if you will, for the uh, for the world. I don't know, ultimately, if that is something that appeals to him and his family. He's not going to get as much money as $400 million a year, nor if he goes to the United States uh, and MLS and with Miami, is he going to get $400 million a year? Now, he is going to get something special, and he is unique in that aspect of it. And I've told you this before. I was around uh, at the Galaxy when we negotiated the deal with Beckham and that incredible clause that enabled him to buy a uh, expansion team at a vastly, especially nowadays looking at it, reduced rate. And the value of that in and of itself was uh, and is hundreds of millions of dollars. He is going to get a special deal. I'm not sure if it involves expansion teams or, or, or whatever, but he is going to get a special deal ultimately coming forward. But it's not going to be $400 million uh, a, a year. And again, I don't know what Messi, in terms of going to MLS, Messi, for me, doesn't seem to be the type of guy that necessarily you see doing that. Cristiano Ronaldo, yes. Zlatan, it's already, it's already happened, yes. But Messi has always been much more private, uh, a much more of an introvert. Uh, and it's not that he wants, you know, that it's all about money with Messi, but I don't think he looks at the market and the possibilities that exist by going to the U.S., in a way that somebody else does. And that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's just the reality of, I think, from, from afar, who he, seems, uh, who he seems to be. Mossy, if you were Messi right now, and put your shoes, put yourself in his shoes. I know it's difficult, but put yourself in his shoes. And you had the opportunity to return to Barcelona to finish out your career, to go to uh, Inter-Miami in MLS and open up that market and do kind of what Beckham did or to go to Saudi Arabia and play for $400 million a year, what would you do? Well, I would not go to Saudi Arabia. Now, it's interesting that Cristiano Ronaldo is there, so if he were to choose that option, they could rekindle that rivalry in the Saudi Arabian League, which would be kind of interesting. Um, I would probably uh, go back to Barcelona for a season to finish out my time in Europe there and then come to Inter-Miami. Uh, hmm. But, uh, you know, the, the Barcelona option, I've given up on trying to figure out the finances of that club, but I, I don't understand how they could possibly <laughs> afford to sign Lionel Messi. Uh, it is interesting that what's been emanating from the Messi camp, at least if you uh, believe Fabrizio Romano, is that he does want to stay in Europe. Fabrizio tweeted that he wants to stay in Europe at least through the 2024 Copa America, which is going to be played here in the United States, which indicates that he's not going to retire from the national team. He's going to... Uh, keep playing. And I wonder why the 2024 Copa America would be sort of the de line of demarcation there, because then you have another World Cup in the U.S. just two years after that. I don't know. But uh, nevertheless, that's what Fabrizio tweeted out, that he wants to stay in Europe one more season through the 2024 Copa America, and then we'll see. So I think it seems like negotiations are breaking now with PSG. Uh, so he's waiting on Barcelona to see if that's a viable option. And I think he would maybe go there for a year and then look to go to uh, Miami after that. The, you know, the ultimate romantic option would be for him to go back to Argentina to play for Newell's Old Boys, the team he supported as a kid that's based in Rosario. But after we saw those images of the fans outside that restaurant in Buenos Aires, I think <laughs> he might have crossed that option off the list because, I mean, if the whole point is to get away from the pressure cooker he's been in his whole life and seek some tranquility late in his career, uh, I mean, that that those scenes were absolutely frightening to me. So I think he would that would mean uh, gravitating towards the Miami option instead.
Well, I, I will leave you with this. One of the things that I love to see is when great players, you know, get out of their, to quote Jurgen Klinsmann, their comfort zone. Not that he made up the, you know, the phrase comfort zone, but he said it a lot. And to see Messi, who we know was in that incubator and then in that incredible cocoon that was and is Barcelona, and then to go to PSG, to see him come into a league that we know is, manufa is manufactured on, uh, on parity, and that is part of the structure, and to have to function within a team. And by the way, it doesn't change when you go to the international aspect of it either, because he's only played for Argentina. To see him come in and play for a mediocre team in a league where, as opposed to the leagues and the teams that he has played for, where he knew he was going to win because he had all of the talent around him, and he's one of the greatest players ever to play the game, and he was on the super clubs of those leagues. For him to come to a league like MLS and test himself in a situation that is absolutely the opposite, that for me is interesting. I know that's not the reason why you do it, but you know, to see Messi have to function where while he might be the best player on his team, his team is not the best team in the league and is just one of maybe a bunch of good teams. And each and every week, he doesn't know when he steps on his field that he has the comfort of being on the best team in the league and being surrounded by the best players. What ultimately he looks like. And how he approaches that, that for me is worth, the, is worth the price of admission. And yes, he will bring in new eyeballs. And yes, people will gravitate to MLS. And he will have, I think, some of the same type of effect on, on the league that a David Beckham signing did. For me, the, the competitive side of it is as interesting as the marketing and the, uh, and the optics of it. Anything before we go, Moss? Uh, last thing, then we'll get out of here. On the topic of Saudi Arabia having limitless funds, uh, breaking news on Twitter, I just saw uh, there are reports that they're ready to offer Jose Mourinho more than $60 million a year to manage the Saudi Arabian national team. <laughs> you know, they can pay me a couple million dollars and I'll just bring Jose some water every once in a while if that's how, the, if that's how they roll. That's incredible. My goodness. $60 million. Yes. Good. God. All right. Well, you know, good for Jose and, you know, good work if you can get it, I suppose. All right, Masi, uh, anything before we go? No, that is it. All right. Well, listen, uh, we appreciate uh, you tuning in this week. We will be back again next week. I will be home next week. Uh, thank you to the uh, the men and women, including uh, producer Sean and everybody behind the scenes that have been working hard. You won't see this or hear this when uh, when this episode drops, but we had a lot of technical difficulties. But we have wonderful people that work and uh, make it seem seamless for you. And so uh, thank you for uh, from a personal perspective, uh, bearing with us uh, through that, you you out there, you're not seeing or hearing any 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 difference. But just know that people are working their ass off to make this at least presentable. And when you're dealing with someone like me, it's not easy. It takes a village. And thank thankfully, we have a uh, wonderful village working behind us. Keep uh, uh, rating and subscribing and reviewing and downloading and doing all those different things. Keep sending in your questions, whether it's your Ask Alexi questions uh, or whether it is uh, on the uh, the State of the Union podcast hotline again six five. 575492297 keep those coming in thanks to Brian and John today for sending in the twitter uh, questions um and thanks for Joe for sending in that uh, and many others but uh we were going to use it on air but uh, thanks to Joe for uh, calling into the hotline so keep doing uh, keep doing that we will talk to you again next week 
uh, on the State of the Union. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day. <laughs>